Check this out. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you're going to shut it for you real quick. Live in the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. Hey, don't roll it. Hit it downhill. With power, you run running straight downhill. You know where we're coming. And we know where y'all going to be lined up at. Now you just got to stop. I'm saying I'm better than you. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Peace mode is already inside of you. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us here on this Wednesday. Had a double check there for a second. Wild Wednesday, Wooly Wednesday, call it what you want, Wacky Wednesday, but a very sad Wednesday today. Very sad for me because uh, a guy that I knew pretty well passed away and it just seems like we're talking about more and more of these type of situations, unfortunately, but uh, woke up this morning to hear the news that Frankel Harris passed away. Very sad. Obviously one of the best running backs in the National Football League ever. College football player. College Football Hall of Fame. Pro Football Hall of Fame. Great career at Penn State and of course the Pittsburgh Steelers. Very sad because if you were listening yesterday, you may remember that I was talking about efforting to try to get him on the show here in the next couple days, because we were talking about the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Steelers, Raiders are playing on Saturday night, and we were joking, well, the NFL sure knows what they're talking about, don't they? You know, scheduling this game on December the 24th, which happens to be, you know, one day after 50 years to the day of the Immaculate Reception, one of the greatest, craziest plays in NFL history. And the Pittsburgh Steelers were planning on acknowledging Franco Harris and actually retiring his jersey. That's another story in itself. Retiring his jersey, which should have been done a long, long time ago. But knowing that this was all happening this week and Franco was getting ready to to make that appearance uh, in Pittsburgh for this game on Saturday night and the Steelers organization was going to honor him. And he passed away overnight in his sleep. No one is saying what the cause of death is, but very strange. I'm sure we're going to hear more about that uh, in the upcoming days. But very sad to to get that news uh, today. Obviously, Franco Harris, Pro Football Hall of Famer, was inducted in 1990, four-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, um, he was actually the very first running back to win that award, Super Bowl Most Valuable Player. The Steelers' all-time leading rusher had nearly 12,000 yards in his career as a running back, 11,950 yards to be exact. Rushed for over 1,000 yards eight times, eight different seasons. Just phenomenal. And some people, if you're under the age of probably, I don't know, you know, 50, you didn't get a chance to see Franco Harris play under 40. But if you're old enough to remember him and watch him like a lot of us are, uh, man, uh, phenomenal. I remember him watching him as a kid. I remember watching him at Penn State, him and Lydell Mitchell, who went to a great pro career in the NFL with the Baltimore Colts back in the day. But Franco went to Pittsburgh, and those two guys – were great together, and Franco spent most of his time, you know, blocking for Lydell Mitchell at Penn State, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers took Franco in the first round. I believe he was the seventh overall pick, and a lot of people in the Steelers organization, or rather, people in the NFL, were saying, "Well, man, that's uh, that's pretty early to go ahead and pick a guy like Franco Harris. You you don't know what he's going to turn out to be because he was a big bruising running back." And that big bruising running back was just phenomenal with the Steelers. And again, if you're old enough to remember those Steeler teams, that's when the Steelers started to become good. Steelers were a laughing stock. You know, going back into the 60s and, you know, early part of the 70s, that's when they really started to, to turn it up a notch. And Franco came in the league in 1972, you know, spent 12 great seasons 
with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he was the offensive rookie of the year in that year of 72. Um, just a fantastic football player. But I'm going to talk a little bit more about Franco, the person, and the guy that I got a chance to know. And I got a chance to know Franco after his playing career, after he retired from the NFL. But you know, going back to the those Steeler teams, Franco Harris, Terry Bradshaw, Frenchie Fuqua, his running back mate, Len Swan, John Stallworth, the list goes on and on. And the defensive side of the ball, the Steel Curtain with Jack Lambert and Jack Ham, you know, Elsie Greenwood, and the list kind of goes on and on and on. Those Steeler teams were grit. Those Steeler teams were tough. You know, playing in the freezing cold Three Rivers Stadium back in those days with the AstroTurf, the artificial turf, which is hard as a rock. And you could still, you know, even if you didn't watch the game live, but you saw the highlights of the Immaculate Reception, the Raiders and the Steelers. That game was a pivotal game, the first round of the playoffs of that year. And uh, it looked like the Steelers were done. They were dead. And then Kenny the Snake Stabler goes back to pass. You know, fires over the middle, and it looks like uh, Jack Tatum broke it up for the Raiders. The Raiders are going to be on their way to victory. John Madden, the coach of the Raiders, on the sideline, advancing to the next round. But here comes Franco Harris out of nowhere to scoop up the ball inches off the ground, picked it up as he was trailing the play. Now, you got to remember, if you haven't seen this play, and most people have, that Stabler threw that ball about 20 yards downfield, and it got broken up, stayed in the air, and Franco was coming from his running backer's blocking position, and he trailed the ball. And I remember talking to Franco about this, and I know he's 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 probably talked about this in, in other interviews. Like, why were you there? How did you get to be in that position to pick up that ball and race it into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown for the Steelers? And he said he was taught back in college, Joe Paterno, Penn State, to always track the ball. So if you're running back and you see something happening, you always track the ball just in case there's a deflection or something happened. And here it was, the pivotal time, most important play, not only that season, but turns out to be the most important play in the history of Pittsburgh Steelers you know, franchise history. Franco Harris saw that ball batted down and he was in a position where he was starting to come downfield and he felt like, whoa, I may be able to to snag this thing before it touched the ground. And he did. And just in just no broken strides, picked it up, raced to the end zone down the left side, uh, did not get tackled, much to the amazement of the Raiders. And uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers went on to win one of the wildest, craziest games ever. you got to remember back in those days, and still remember the call, and we're going to play the call for you. We played it yesterday. We're going to play it again right now. Uh, Kurt Gowdy uh, for NBC on the crowd. you got to remember back in those days, there weren't that many television cameras you know, in the stadium. I believe they would use like seven cameras back in the early 70s. So for NBC to be quick on that too with the, the director in the truck – being able to to pick that up and like, okay, let's continue to follow this. And then you saw replays later on when it was all edited together of the end zone camera picking up Franco as he's you know coming towards the play where the ball is. But on the, the live feed from NBC, you just saw the side angle. That's all you saw. And who knows, if this play had instant replay and was reviewed nowadays, who knows if it would have been a catch? Uh, we talked yesterday about the the um, the statue that is inside the Pittsburgh airport there where it has Franco picking it up right there by the escalator. And a lot of our, our guests and friends or listeners who have been to that airport, they know that statue, where it is. And a, a lot of you know opponents who come in, especially former Raiders, they'll say, hey, there's that statue where Franco's picking the ball up off the ground. It's touching the ground right there. I'm sure when they constructed that thing and put that in the airport, they made sure that it wasn't. But who knows if uh, what replay would have done to that thing. It would have changed the lore of history. No question about it. 
It could have. But Franco Harris, one of the best pro football players of all time, one of the best running backs, and again, 1990, he was enshrined into Pro Football Hall of Fame in, in Canton, Ohio. Um, just a fantastic, fantastic player and a fantastic guy. Now, my experience with Franco Harris was this. I got a chance to meet him, and some of you may actually remember this if you've been you know, following me going back my time in Vegas, my first stint, when I was doing my national show in the early 90s. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and just tell the story here. So we're doing this show, and this was 1993, because uh, I came to Vegas and started doing my national show in 92, was here through uh, 92 to 99, and about, I think it was 93, where we had some producers from ESPN come by my show into the studio and they said, Hey, we are, uh, um, videoing this uh, game show. We're going to be doing a pilot uh, on ESPN. And they wanted to know if I'd be interested in being on the game show. So I said, okay, tell me a little bit about the game show. They go, well, it's, uh, going to be, uh, teams of, of like three team, um, you know, teams, (laughs) they're going to go against each other and you're going to be paired with a, a sports celebrity, a superstar. And we're going to be doing this over at Caesars tomorrow. So how would you like to be on the show? And do you want to get your own team together? I'm going, okay, so what is this? Well, it's trivia questions. Oh, boom. Okay. I'm down. I'm done. Sports trivia. That's it. And there was another little twist to it. You had to have a little bit of athletic ability because it was also part of, uh, you, you had to do basically do some sporting activities afterwards. You had to throw a football, uh, basically on, on target where they had this fake kind of wooden, you know, uh, player and you had to basically hit them. You had to be able to sink a free throw. You had to be able to chip on a green, and then you had to actually uh, hit a softball over a fence that was only like about a, a hundred feet, hundred twenty feet away. So it was it was pretty ingenious idea. So they said, "Come on over to Caesars, bring your crew with you, and we're going to be taping tomorrow, and we're going to be doing a pilot, and then you know we've got a thirteen run episode that's going to air on ESPN." I said, cool. So I'm real excited because I'm all about the sports trivia. So I ended up calling my producer uh, at, at that point in time, and my producer and engineer, and a lot of people may know of him, uh, Micah Roberts, and he was all jazzed up. And at that time, he went by the Ripper, as I called him the Ripper. That was before he was Micah Roberts, the sports book director here in town. And uh, And then I called another buddy of mine. Um, who was in Sacramento, and I said, uh, and I just knew he's a trivia guy. I said, can you get on a plane and be here tomorrow? I said, we're going to be on, a, on on ESPN national televised you know game show and big trivia buff. I said, no problem, let's go. So we go down to Caesars. The next day, we meet the producers, and this was hosted by John Neighbors, a former swimmer uh, and uh, you know gold medalist. And then Adrian Carstens, people remember Adrian Carstens was also part of this show. And Adrian Carstens was a sideline reporter for ESPN's college football. So ESPN was all in on this. And it was in the convention area there at Caesars, the indoor stadium there. And then they had, they had room for all this where, you know, they set up a, a softball, you know, field pitcher, home plate, and then had to set up a fence and all this other stuff. So again, so is the three of us, and they go, okay, you're going to be paired with uh, a celebrity. So the very first episode we did was the pilot, and our celebrity tag team partner was Michael Cooper from the L.A. Lakers, and that was pretty cool. All right. Also went on to have um, Fred Bolitnikoff, who was one of our guys as well too, and got team up with him. But then they said, here's who your, who's who your celebrity is. It's going to be Franco Harris. I go, pretty cool, Franco Harris. So Franco didn't know too much about sports trivia. 
And so we had already done this episode with Michael Cooper and just rolled through it. And I don't know if there's, you know, you can find these things on YouTube or, or where they're, they're pretty hard, but I still have them on VHS. Uh, so go on down with the crew and we just start rolling. And you basically have to answer all of these questions from various sports and you move from the goal line to the other goal line. So every time you answer a question, you move 10 yards, boom, 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 boom. Well, me and my crew, we just, we swept the board. We were just rolling through everything. And so we won uh, the very first episode. So they invited us back uh, to come back. And it was one of those things where you got to continue to uh, go on to the, 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 you know, defend your championship over and over. So episode number two is Franco. So Franco had watched the first episode and he goes, man, he goes, you're something else, man. This is great. He goes, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to shut up and let you answer all the questions. And I go, sounds good, brother. No problem. And so during this time when you're doing TV shows, there's a lot of downtime because you got to wait in between this and that. So I got to spend about a good two days with Franco during that time. And everything that we had talked about was off the football field. It was talking about, you know, his, you know, business ventures, uh, what he liked to do outside. Of course, we talked about food because I was a, a huge foodie then, a huge foodie now, right? And he was so humble. He was a great guy. He was just, uh, he's very spirited and he was just one of the nicest guys that ever came, uh, to meet. And while we're doing the show, I think Franco may have answered maybe one or two of the trivia questions. So, like I said, so you have to designate who is going to do what thing. So after you win, you defeat the other guys. Oh, and by the way, we're dressed up in football jerseys too. So I think the first couple of episodes, we had 49er jerseys. I was wearing number 80, Jerry Rice. Um, and then, so, and we, then when Franco was on, obviously we were wearing Steeler jerseys, you know? So that was fun. Of course he was wearing his number 32. So Franco said, I'm just going to kick back, man. I'm, I'm, I'm let you do all, all the damage and that sort of thing. But it came down where we had to designate one person for each task at the end. So once we go, you have to complete all this in 45 seconds. All right. So again, you have to chip a, a ball under the putting green, just get it within like 10 feet of the cup. So we got to get one guy to do that, do that. We got one guy has to throw the football, one guy that has to hit the free throw, and one guy hits the softball. All right. So the way ESPN had constructed this at Caesars, right field was the short porch. So me being left-handed, softball is all me. No problem. So the first phase was throwing the football. So Micah had to do that and he nailed it. And within about five to seven seconds. So you're counting down to see how much time you have left. Then we got to go to chipping to the putting green. My buddy, the H man, who has basically, he's a soccer guy. He has no speck of athletic ability. I said, can you chip this thing just closest to the, just get it close. After about two or three, he, he like doesn't even arc it. It's just like one of these like long putts. Exactly. And it's, and it hits the pin and sticks. Great. All right. Franco says, I can hit a free throw. I go, okay, we're going to give you the free throw task. Franco steps up, steps up. And you know how Shaq would just kind of, you know, just kind of like with his fingertips like that. Okay. He didn't shoot it bad like that. No, Franco shot it from his fingertips. He had this beautiful arc. Boom. Franco nailed it. First free throw. Nailed it. We're jumping up and down. Here's Franco Harris is like high fiving us. We're chest bumping. And of course, you know, they want. The effect they want us, you know, to go nuts and all that stuff. So, well, they chose the right guy for that, right? So now they leave me something like 18 seconds to hit the ball over the fence. All right. And so they have this apparently called this all world pitcher who was on team USA, whatever, but it's slow pitch softball. So she fires it up. Boom. I crank it. It's over. I do the bat flip, the Jose Bautista bat flip. We're all jumping up, going crazy. I get in front of the camera. What you going to do? Dude? Go into my WrestleMania mode, all that kind of stuff. Franco picks me up and, and puts me on his shoulders, and we win the grand prize. So we won like three in a row, and then finally they came back, and they said, okay, you guys are done. Like, what do you mean we're done? And the grand prize was a trip to 
any of the Caesars properties. You can go to Atlantic City, you can go to Tahoe, you could stay here in Vegas, whatever you wanted to do. And uh, we chose to take the trip uh, to Tahoe. And uh, after we won like three, four episodes, they said, okay, you guys are done. We, you know, we, we, we want to defend our title. And Franco, I can still hear Franco, hey, it's not fair. That's not fair. We won. We, we get to come back. You guys already won the grand prize. You think we're going to give you two grand prizes? So, and this has, this next part really has nothing to do with Franco, but it's just, it's kind of funny that, so after the next episode and we get to that round, same thing happens and we go to the final round and, uh, the producer of the ESPN goes out and talks to the pitcher and says, don't give this guy nothing good to hit. So all of a sudden the 10, the 12 foot arc is now 24 foot arc. And it's like, okay, you know, and the, and the, the clock is counting down and this, you know, whatever. And I hit in like a line drive because I can't even like, you know, it's outside. It's over my head. Slow pitch softball, you know? Uh, and I hit this line drive that doesn't go out, you know? And then you can see this look on my face like, I'm mad, you know? It's like, well, we already won before. And they go, think we're going to let you guys win again? No, we, we got to get some fresh blood on this thing. Yeah, true story. So the Dream League went on uh, on ESPN for that whole season. Then I guess they couldn't come to an agreement with Caesars. It disappeared, and then uh, they went to Orlando, Florida, and they did it a couple of years. But um, so that was the beginning of Franco. Franco would come on my show after that. If we, if we struck up uh, the friendship and everything, uh, when he would come back to Vegas, um, I would see him. We would get together, and uh, again, just one of the most genuine, humble guys uh, that you ever would want to know. And I am very sad because we had just talked about this on the show about me trying to reach out to see if uh, we can get him on the show before um, the Raider Steeler game on Saturday, celebrating the immaculate reception. So very sad today to, uh, to hear the news, a guy that I really enjoyed spending time with and just a, a great all around human being. A lot of people uh, don't know what a great businessman. I just want to say this one more thing about Franco is that he Started, I mentioned Lydell Mitchell, his teammate at Penn State. He started this food uh, distribution company that he would, um, they would pitch all the different school districts throughout the country. And I think he even came to Vegas uh, to do that as well, too. And it was healthy food. That was the thing, healthy food. But he had a multi million dollar business, him and Lydell Mitchell. And then he created the Super Bakery, which was healthy donuts. Now, if you, you can Google, probably Google and I think it's super donut and Franco Harris invented super donut. It was a healthy donut that was in all, uh, not all, but you know, uh, school districts throughout the country, but that's what he was all about. He was a great businessman. He was a great motivational speaker and cannot say one bad thing about him. Uh, again, he was all about into nutrition and his super bakery was fantastic. The super donut brand was outstanding, but every time I talked to him, it was a pleasure to be around. And when people talk about people and say, hey, this guy was a great guy, this guy was a great man, a great human being. Never see him distraught, always a smile on his face, and um, proud to call him my friend. Franco Harris, as we get ready to celebrate uh, the Immaculate Reception, one of the greatest football plays in history. Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Franco Harris has it. And he's over. Look! Franco Harris! Grab the ball on the deflection. Five seconds to go. He grabbed it with five seconds to go and scored. Let's watch one this again. One million to one odds on this one. Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. Here's the miracle of all miracles. From out of nowhere came Franco Harris riding a white stallion, heading up Franco's Italian army and galloping off into the sunset. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin.
All right, join us on Friday, our Christmas Eve edition, even though technically Christmas Eve is Saturday, but we're, we're saying that, at the Westgate of Las Vegas, of course, the world-famous Superbook, our Friday home. Marco D'Angelo will be in the house. Jay Schrader, our special guest. That's right, Jay Schrader. He thinks he can pick these games. All right, so he'll be with us. And uh, our next guest, who's usually with us here midweek, uh, Trevor Maddich, uh, who's been on fire with his picks. Of course, he joins us. On Fridays, when he's not called into duty at uh, headquarters there in Bristol, Connecticut. So uh, we will uh, see Trevor's availability uh, for Friday. But yes, our best bet segment. Uh, everything, as you well know, at the Westgate of Las Vegas, world-famous Superbook. Come on by, see the show live. Looking forward to another fantastic football Friday. Is Jay's sister going to get involved in this? It's about that time. It is. It's about that time. So we got to reach out to her. Um, I think we... We got her on during the playoffs last year, I think, because she had all of her yeah. her 10 betting tickets. So, But it might be a good time to get her involved. Yeah. We'll do that. Yeah, and we're referring to Jay Schrader's sister, who loves uh, betting future tickets. And so she sends her brother money, and he goes to the window to uh, to bet the future tickets. And she always has a ticket on the Vikings, because that's like her favorite team. But she will not put a ticket on the Raiders. Because she's not fond of the Raiders. Well, at least she'll save her 10 bucks this year. No question. But, uh, and I gave her a bad time last year because so I said, so when Jay was telling me, I go, what are you doing with all these tickets? He goes, well, and he told, told the story on air about this is my sister's tickets and I got to do this for her every year, this and that. He goes, you want to see your tickets? I go, yeah. So we did this live on the air. Didn't have them have like it, coffee stains and stuff like that on them. <laughs> right, right. And so I put them in three different piles. Um, in on the air, and I said, okay, these have no shot whatsoever, and then these have a marginal shot, and this has a legitimate shot. But uh, she did have the Rams, so she cashed. But the problem is when you play multiple tickets like that, you're throwing nine tickets away, and if you don't have one of the ten, you're throwing all ten tickets away. So then we got her on the phone. I think it was like a week or two later. And then man, she knew her sports. It was great, and to have you know, see her like go at it with her brother. That's awesome. Sibling rivalries. Gotta love that. That's what we do here. All right? We we cause distress amongst uh, family members. Love it. That's it. All right. With all that being said, here comes our man. Uh, I don't know. Helmet on, helmet off. There he is. Trevor Maddich. What's going on, brother? Hey, TC. I am doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Hey, do you want to uh, add into any of that stuff that you just heard me rambling about? You, you, you want to you, you throw anything in there? Well, you know what? You've been rambling a lot. Uh, I will say this, that uh, I, will, I will add to uh, what was not a ramble and what you were saying about about Franco Harris. Yes, I was going to get your the, thoughts about the, that, yeah. Yeah, the, the thing that really that really struck me the most about Franco, besides what we see on the highlights when he played, first of all, physically he's massive. The first time I met him, I couldn't believe how big he was. If you'd have told me he was a right tackle, I'd have believed you, right? He just, he just, and to be a, Running back that big in the seventies, for goodness sake, is astonishing. But then, what I didn't really know him as an athlete. You know, I, I knew him personally as a uh, as a person, and I agree with all the things you said about him. And I would add to this that he is he is kind. You know, he always treated people that couldn't do anything to help him with kindness. And that to me is a real hallmark of character because a lot of people that are big stars, you know, if you can help them, if you can add shine to their star, they're all over it. And if you can't, well, whatever, you know, go back with the other little people. But I never knew Franco to treat anybody like a little person, uh, you know, that wasn't important. And so I think, I think that's important. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with him at his charity with Lydell Mitchell uh, at the Super Bowl for many years. I emceed it for many years. And, um, and everybody, both he and Lydell both, treated as if they were they were business people with absolutely no athletic greatness at all. But they're both athletically great, and that kindness is something that it really stood out to me. And that that's the first thing I thought when I heard that he passed. Perfectly put, Trevor. Kind is such. Uh, an apropos word for him. And I'm, you know, again, mentioned humble and just, you know, being a gracious guy, but kind is, you are so right about that. So kind. I mean, you know, again, like w- with me, it's like, it's like, I mean, he was, he was more interested in like what I was doing or family or that sort of thing. And like I said, our conversations, probably just like your conversations with him were more about, you know, non-football related stuff. 
And I think that's what's so cool. And uh, again, just genuine, as genuine as, as you can get. And uh, I knew that you had, uh, you know, some dealings with him and some memories. And yeah, I definitely wanted to hear about uh, your memories and your thoughts about uh, the late, great Frank O'Harris. Sure. And, and, you know, we hear all the time that you really don't want to meet your heroes because you're likely to be disappointed. Right. Right. And uh, I tell you, Franco Harris was a hero of yours and you got the chance to meet him. It would have, it would have elevated his standing in your mind. Mm-hmm. I, I was a kid in a candy store when I first, you know, met him and it was like that. And I guess at that time I was in my mid twenties, you know, and it was like, wow, this, this guy is, is so cool. And again, it just, you know, it, it wasn't all about football. It was just, you know, the kind of person, uh, that he was. And again, you know, just to, to see him like jumping up and down, uh, you know, for, for, for winning a game show or sinking a bucket. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it, 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 it'd be like with you. Same thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, the difference is I could jump about the height of my socks, you know, if they're ankle socks. Right. Uh, I think Franco would uh, come down and, and set off the, seismic detectors in uh at mit um in massachusetts but when uh let me ask you this did he ever confirm to you definitively whether or not he actually caught that ball uh, <laughs> you know like i said it was it was never really about about football and that sort of thing and you know god it was such a long time ago uh i can't remember if it were brought up or not but i remember the the, the smile and all that stuff anytime you know, that would get brought up with him it was like hey you know yeah. The funny thing is you can't see on any of the replays. At least right. I haven't seen one where you can see. Right. You know, it's always below the level or behind something, or you can't really see it. And I wanted, when I first met him, I wanted so badly to ask him, did you really catch that thing? Did that hit the ground, Franco? Come on. You know, and, but I didn't get a chance to, yeah. because fortunately somebody else asked him first, and I was standing right. right there. Right. And he just smiled and said, well, you know, it was a great play, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I'm not sure what that means. It's like Carly Simon with "You're So Vain." Right. You know, it's probably better to not know who it's written about. Although I think, I think we know about that, do we? I mean, did she ever reveal that? Uh, all I know is that clouds in the coffee, Trevor. That's all I remember. You know, clouds in yeah, my coffee. Well, That's it. Well, there, there you go. I think, uh, yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Maybe he did reveal definitively one way or the other, but. uh uh, I think the fact that he left it for a, as a mystery was uh, was part of the legend of right. the whole thing. Yeah, and, and I think he would come out and said, "You know what? You know, yeah, I hit the ground, whatever. We didn't have replay; you couldn't see it." But he didn't say that. I don't think he, he didn't say. No, no, I definitely caught it. It was definitely in the air. I, I, I personally didn't hear him say that. Somebody in, in the Twitterverse may have heard him talk about it because I'm sure he's talked about it more than I've heard. But uh, but whenever I've heard people ask him directly, he always had the same answer, which was. That was a great play, wasn't it? Yeah, right, right. And again, that's part of the class factor of him as well, too. I mean, he's not he's he's going to keep it, you know, right there, and uh, in in maybe you know keep the shine and, and and avoid off of himself and and that sort of thing. It's like, hey, it's, it's a great play. Where other people would say, oh man, I'll tell you what, it hit the ground, or no way, it didn't hit the ground. What are you talking? Oh, these people then you know they go take it into a negative context. That wasn't Franco, uh, as you know. Hey, how would you be in the offensive lineman that you were? How would you like to block for that guy? Uh, oh, oh, are you kidding me? It would <laughs> the the thing that would be the most fun would be the look at the eyes of the guys that I'm blocking, because in the beginning of the game, you know they're thinking, okay, this is going to be a long day. But when you get into the second half and he's rolling downhill again, I don't have his height and weight when he played. I don't know what that is. I just know standing next to the guy, you know, running back is not the position I would have guessed. Offensive line, defensive, defensive tackle, something like that is what I would have guessed. Um, in great shape, but he, um, so the, when a back that big gets rolling downhill like a Derrick Henry from the Titans, you know, there, it changes the way that defenders look at their experience in the game. Let's put it that way. And, and, and Derrick Henry and guys like that now do it, but Franco in the seventies, are you kidding? You know, and the Steelers were one of the teams, the early teams to really get heavy into strength training. And so you had a powerful offensive line, uh, that was driving defensive linemen that, uh, that strength training was kind of a new thing and they didn't really know what to do and how to do it to the degree that they do now. Right. I mean, now it's like guys in high school are bench pressing 400 pounds. Back in the day, the te- the early adopters of, of actual honest to goodness get stronger, uh, had a huge advantage and the Steelers are one of those teams. And then you've got a, a literal tank, 
running behind him. I just, I, I'd love to go back and watch some of those games just to, just to see that again through these eyes. Right. Right. Oh, and, uh, just, uh, you asked the question about, uh, Carly Simon, you're so vain, Trevor. Yeah. It was about her yeah. love affair with, uh, fellow musician, uh, Dan Armstrong. There you go. Oh, no. There, there it is. Yeah. It wasn't Mick Jagger. It no. Wasn't James Taylor. Dan, Dan Armstrong. I don't even know if you remember Dan Armstrong or, or not. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm so disappointed now. I <laughs> wanted it to be some big famous guy. No. Nah, Although I, I have met Mick Jagger. Yeah. I met him one time in passing at a club. And and he was very genuine, very nice for just a few minutes that uh, that I met him. So that was good. I've never met James Taylor, but uh, I would have loved to for it to have been about somebody big and famous. Right, oh, right. Well, I'm, I'm so disappointed now. I, I'm, I'm going to unremember that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Great song though. But now this is what what uh, you do to me here. I, I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for probably the rest of the show. And knowing Numchuck, you'll probably play it at some point. You know, uh, during the show today. And I'm going to be you know driving in my car and I'm going to be searching for like 70s on 7 now and I want to hear Carly Simon you're so vain well here's the problem though it's written in the second person it's written you're so vain yeah. I'll bet you think this song is about you don't, don't you, you. <laughs> don't you it is about you she just said it five times <laughs> this is I'm true. so vain that's just observant oh Carly Simon What are the, I love Carly Simon's voice uh, rock and roll hall of famer one of the best. You know what? As a, as a songwriter, she is a legend and deservedly so. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, she wrote so many songs for so many other people aside from herself. Yeah, and then delivered some of the best ones ever. I mean, yeah. nobody does it better from uh, um, oh. the James Bond movie, you know? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And uh, I remember seeing a, a, a video where they put that together for Walter Payton, that song. And that was, uh, I still remember that. There's a, a video oh, with that song. Yeah. There it is. All right. Trevor. She does a sports story and all that. Tre- Trevor Maddich, you know, bringing up uh, Carly Simon. You got to like it. All right, my friend. I didn't get a chance to talk with you since uh, Sunday. I don't know what we're officially calling it. The uh, Again, the Sin City Massacre, the Sin City Meltdown, or the Sin City Miracle, if you're on the Raiders side. I'm just calling it the uh, the Patriots Major Malfunction. That's, a, that's what I call it. Because what do you call it, Trevor? When you saw this play, and I don't know if you saw it live, I mean, I was there at Allegiant Stadium in front of my eyes, and I couldn't believe it. What did you think from afar? Well, I don't know. I... The first thing that popped up into my mind, well, that's the immaculate interception. There you go. Right. The uh, although that's just too easy, though. It's just right. way too easy, and it wasn't an interception. Technically, it was a fumble recovery, but because uh, it was a lateral. But if uh, there's got to be a name for it, though, I mean, you've got the immaculate reception. You've got the Music City Miracle, um, where Tennessee Titans ended up uh, making it to the Super Bowl. You've got uh, you know all kinds of uh, of great names that deserves a name of its own because that was and I'm thinking it's got to be something against Bill Belichick because <laughs> you got to figure that you know he's the the most buttoned down coach his team is wired tight they never make mistakes they always do their job do your job right right so what happens they're tied <clears throat> they run the ball to run out the clock Ramondre Stevenson decides that okay well gee golly it's uh the last play of the game and uh and we're behind I guess he forgets that they're tied and they're going to go to overtime. So he laterals it back to Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers turns around and throws it back to the quarterback, Mac Jones. Chandler Jones actually tried to tackle the running back, Stevenson, when he went through the line initially. He was laying on the ground, then he got up. Right. You know, and then saw the running back didn't have the ball. The receiver did, Jacoby Myers, who took the first lateral. And he's looking back at him. And the quarterback's standing next to him. He's like, okay, then. Right. And so he ended up in a cherry pie quite accidentally. And, uh, I just, I just, uh, when, when I saw the. Wait, wait, wait. The, the cherry pie. Is that, is that a, an official term? I like that one. I don't think I've heard he ended up in the cherry pie. Please define that. No, you know, life's a bowl of cherries, right? So yeah. I guess if uh, cherries are good, cherry pie is better because okay. it's America. All right. Good. Yeah. There you go. All right. So if, uh, but, but, but I guess my point is that, that Bill Belichick, when he was asked afterwards and was trying to explain it, I mean, he, he just, he just deadpanned, uh, Bill Belichick coach speech about awareness and situational football and all that. But I'm thinking, man, if I'm Jacoby Myers, I'm just not getting on the plane and going back. Uh, I mean, that is just, oh, 
You know, because I mean, that is the most unbelichick way to lose a football game. Complete lack of awareness, complete lack of understanding what's going on in the game and what the risk reward is of doing that kind of a play when you're got overtime guaranteed. And it just poor Bill Belichick, if you like him, or yay, Bill Belichick, if you don't. I mean, this is a great day for the haters of Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, I said the same thing that you just said yesterday, too, and I was going through my mind. It's like, okay, Bel- of all teams that this could happen to, it just doesn't seem like it would happen to the Patriots because they are the most prepared team there is, even when they don't have the most talent like this year, but they're still hanging around playoff spot and they gave away the game. Now, who knows? The Raiders could have won in o- overtime. Who knows? But to give that away. So the thing that I was looking at, I was like, wait a minute now, Ramondre Stevenson, he's a Vegas kid, right? He went to Oklahoma. They drafted him and the Patriots always draft well. And I'm thinking they usually draft guys that have a good football IQ. And then I go, okay, Jacoby Myers, where'd he come from? Well, he went undrafted, but the Patriots signed him right after that draft in 2019. So he's been with them for three seasons now, and it's the only team that he's been with. So don't these guys got to be smarter than that? I mean, you're in the Patriots organization. Now, maybe I'd say, okay, if a guy came over from somewhere else, some knucklehead, and he hasn't been in the in the Patriots system and or under Belichick, you know, very long. But these guys have spent their whole careers with this team under this one coach. And again, why they would go rogue is beyond me. I can only call it being basically stupid and selfish. And really, the selfishness comes into play. It's like, oh, I want to be a hero. And Meyer said that afterwards. I just, you know, I guess I was trying to be a hero. Why? It made no sense. And first of all, Trevor, I thought, did he think that they were down by one, 24, 23? They think he missed an extra point. So what happened there? I mean, why, why was he doing this? But he, he was selfish. It was stupid. Well, it, it's like, it's like if you've got second and goal at the one and you get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And then you reach the ball out to try to get it over the line and expose it to the defense knocking it out, and then knock the ball out. Well, if it's fourth and goal at the one, by all means, stretch the ball out. Right. Second and goal at the one is far more risky to put that ball out there, reaching it out in front of you, trying to get the nose over the goal line, where the entire defense can swat it. And that's exactly what happened with Myers on, on this particular play because of the situation in the game. If they were trailing, do what you got to do. But they weren't trailing. It was tied. And so there was a better a better chance of this thing ending disastrously for the Patriots than it ending in a, in a score for the Patriots. And it's like if you uh, if you put all your money, you know, you've got uh, you've got all your money and you're at the roulette wheel <laughs> and you can put it all on red or on black. But instead, you put it on green. Yeah, right. <laughs> Green's a long shot. There you go. Good analogy there. Good comparison. I like that. Did you get a chance to hear the Patriots radio broadcast of the play? I did not. Okay, we're going to play that. We played it yesterday. Yesterday, we played all three on Terrible Tuesday. Played the Raiders call with our good friend Lincoln Kennedy, who we had on the show yesterday. And Lincoln was like, I was speechless. And that's not a good thing when you're doing radio to be speechless. But, But he literally was speechless. And then, you know, we played the, the television call on Fox. Uh, you know, we got that, but here's the dealio that, uh, Bob Sochi, the, the fine play by play announcer for the Patriots. He's, uh, comes on the show regularly, uh, here and Scott Zolak, a guy that you might remember. I mean, Scott Zolak, right? Former quarterback at Maryland, I believe, right? Well, he yeah. listened to specifically Scott Zolak on the call here on the hook and lateral to beat the Patriots several years ago. Now on a third and ten, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle, hit by Chandler. Jones slips and hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off a tackle at the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Throw oh Jones God. is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Come on. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. And a victory for Las Vegas. (laughs) I don't know what to say. 
You think Miami was bad? We're down here, the miracle of Miami? This is a heads roll type freaking play right here. Oh my God. <laughs> there he is. Scott's all like Bob Sochi. What do you think of that, Trev? Did he say this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen or one of the dumbest teams? I think I've he ever said seen? teams. I, I, wow. I thought he said things. I think he said teams. Really? I'll go back wow. to this. Now. Yeah. Wow. There you go. That is wow. Yeah. Um, that's pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is absolutely pretty strong. Uh, and and that that really hurt the Patriots' chances at the playoffs as well. Yeah, you know, I mean that that had a material effect. The play if the season ended today, the Patriots aren't in. Mm. Um, the Patriots aren't in. So the um, three games to uh, go. We'll see if that happens. And again, they were a fringe team anyway. And, and the thing about it, they they played well enough to win. It was going to be another one of these Raider meltdowns. Like I said, I mean going. I mean then you go back to the Keelan Cole catch. I mean, we saw foot on white, Trevor, and foot on white means out of bounds, no good. You know, other other football, football, foot on white is fine. But this football, American football, foot on white is no good. But the official, I get it, split second, you know, you got to make a decision. He puts his arms up, touchdown. But here we go back to, okay, well, we have to really, it has to be conclusive that, you know, he was out of bounds. We got to stick with the call. This is like a five-minute review. It was a five-minute review. The Raiders were lucky to even be in this situation. No, he he was out of bounds, for goodness sake. It was, listen, the officiating in the NFL this year, uh, I'm, I'm usually slow to criticize officials, because you're right, it's it's a it's a bang bang thing. It's really hard. I couldn't do it. Um, so much of what we see on television, slow motion close ups, everything else, the plays that don't end up getting reviewed, and and we're able to sit back and Monday morning quarterback the officials right there in real time. And so I'm slow to criticize officials, but there have been some absolutely horrific calls. That was one of them in the Commanders game against the Giants. The commanders at the end of the game had a chance to score the potentially game tying touchdown if they hit a two point conversion afterwards. It's fourth down. There's a pass thrown into the end zone to receiver Curtis Samuel and it's incomplete. But the defender behind Samuel at times literally had him in a bear hug behind him, pinning both arms to his body so he couldn't reach up and catch the ball. That wasn't like a full bear hug for the entire time, but like he'd pin here, pin there, pin there clearly impeding the receiver. It was not mutual jostling for the ball. It was the receiver boxing out, had position. The defender behind him was pinning his arms against his body, and it was incomplete, and there was no call. And I'm telling you what, it's it's plays like that that we're talking about now in Las Vegas. That happened in Washington, D.C., for goodness sake. That, that, you know, it's just the, the officiating this year has been an unfortunate sideshow. Uh, for the NFL. Uh, speaking of, of the commanders and, and wide receivers, you were you aware of the play where Terry McLaurin was on, uh, you know, on on the line of scrimmage, and then he, he caught a touchdown pass, and then he looked over to the official, and the official was you know giving him the thumbs up like you're good, you're good, and that you know make sure he wasn't covering up the tight end, all that sort of thing, and then we had a touchdown pass, and then throws the flag up in the air. And, and that's, and that official threw the flag saying that, that, uh, uh, you know, uh, McLaurin was, uh, what, uh, not offside, but I mean, just, you know, again, the illegal motion yeah. or whatever it was. It was like, yeah. uh, illegal formation. And it's like, what? And so he went ballistic. I think Ron Rivera went ballistic. Like, what, what do you mean? And there is this, as you know, this code of like, okay, there's this communication between receiver and official, you know, whether you're off the line and they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So he gives them the thumbs up. You're good. You're good. And then throws the flag. I mean, that is about an official who's being all about him. So please explain to me that one. Okay. You know, I think this was a play before it was on the one yard line. Yeah. It was in the game. They ended up. Yeah. And it was a running play. They ran the ball in for a touchdown. Now, they're down two. They're going to go for two and see if they can tie it and send it to overtime. The, but flag in the air. Terry McLaurin was off to the right, wide to the right. right. He um, looked at the official, like you said. He pointed at the official and said, hey, am I, am I up close enough to get on the line? Because he had to be the end man on the line. Otherwise, it would have been the offensive tackle, would have been, which would have been an illegal formation. So the official, according to McLaurin, said, no, you got to move up some. So McLaurin moved up some, pointed at him again. 
Mm. And I said, okay, so there he is. And then the flag comes out. Mm. Now, it looked to me like he was still not up far enough. But you're right. There's a certain protocol that the if the if the official says to the receiver, you got to adjust this way or that way, and he does it, then if it has absolutely nothing to do with the play, you would think the official would say, look, maybe he didn't move as far as I thought he would. He didn't move as far as I told him to. But he was asking me, and da 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 And that had nothing to do with the play. It was an inside run. Right. McLaurin was way off to the right. And so you can make the case if you get out your, your slide rule and your calipers and decide if he was up on the, uh, close enough to the line of scrimmage at the snap. I don't think he was. But it's the protocol that you're talking about, and it's how it affected the play. That next one, which should have been called for pass interference on fourth down, uh, the one that iced the game for the Giants because it was incomplete because the receiver couldn't begin to catch the ball because the, he was being interfered with so badly by a defender who was behind him getting boxed out. That one directly affected the game. Yeah. the th- That was not called. The one that also directly affected the game uh, because of the call, the play itself didn't affect the game. Terry McLaurin being a little bit too far back, and so the formation was technically illegal, that didn't affect the game. And if McLaurin didn't check with the official, then by all means, throw the flag. But because he did, now you have this gray area where McLaurin thought that he had been told by the official that he was okay, so he didn't move up further. Uh, So he didn't want to line up off sides and go too far forward. But it could have got, it basically did cost the Giants at least an opportunity because it was 20 to 12, a minute to go. And then now you're, yeah, yeah. And now it's, it's third and six. And then here you go, third down. They don't get it. Fourth down, they, they attempt it because they're not going to kick a field goal uh, because they're down eight. And they don't have that opportunity. So there it is. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. That, that that's series. two bad calls on that, on that in that last sequence. Right. One was a bad positive call that I thought was bad. The other one was a terribly bad no call. Yeah, I'm just, well, again, yeah. this comes back to what we're talking about. We're talking about the officials, mm-hmm. right? And and the officials, unfortunately, and it's like that that touchdown in the Raiders game. You know, that toe was out of bounds. That toe was on the white. It just was. And and the fact that the guys in the booth. Or who were in New York, whoever was doing the replay, you know, thought that that was not indisputable video evidence. I mean, I'd sure like to have a conversation with them because in watching it, that I, it, the toe was on the on the white, it was on the boundary, and it affected the game. No doubt, uh, craziness. All right, my man, we uh, appreciate uh, the time as always. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, enjoy your time. I don't know if you're going to be working like a madman, or you're going to get a chance to. Enjoy your weekend. What's on tap? Yeah, it's the former. Uh, <laughs> I've got the radio call of the Hawaii Bowl. I've got uh, halftime uh, of a whole bunch of stuff going all the way through the holidays, so it's going to be fun. I, and I remember last time we had this conversation, you didn't get a chance to go to Hawaii. You are like calling the game from afar. Are, are you at least going to get a chance to put a, a, a lay around your neck and, and, and go to Hawaii? I will. I will confirm this this much. <laughs> I will put a layer around my neck. The rest of it is an absolute mystery, and it's qualified. It's uh, classified. But see, I've got to do good on the pick now because Marco is roar- Marco had a week, man. I know. I think he's what five and one. Holy yes. smoke! Five and one, exactly. All right. Yeah. So we all got to gang up on Marco because he's starting to cause trouble for everybody. We'll get it, brother. All right. We'll look forward to talking with you on Friday and uh, listen to Carly Simon on the way out. Like I said, all right. There is, there's the mystery. You're so vain. Take care, my man. Appreciate you. Thanks, BC. My man, Trevor Maddich. We'll talk to him on Friday with our best bets. Coming up next, Mark McMillan. We're going to talk some Philadelphia Eagles. We'll talk some Raiders and a whole lot more. Steve Sachs is going to join us next hour. We talk about this craziness with Major League Baseball free agency, the Carlos Correa situation. We got that and more. Don't you dare go anywhere. Some dreams they were